Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up, and with me is my co-host, uh, Jason Fordney, the editor of News Data's California Energy Markets. We're here to tell you about some of our top stories, but first, Jason, how are you doing? Doing great, Dan. How are you? I'm good. I'm I'm great. Um, I'm excited to that. hear you talk to us. Tell us about Kanye West's bedazzled flip flops. That was our lead. That's that's the lead yeah. story we're talking about, right? That's yeah. I'm just getting started on this breaking news story. I did see the headline. Apparently, uh, Kanye has some new jeweled flip flops, which I gotta admit, I'm a little bit jealous. Uh, I mean. There's bejeweled flip-flops. What's yeah, not to I mean, be jealous about? Exactly. And I'm sure there's an electric grid angle here somewhere. So oh, yeah. I'll be we'll, we're, we're working <laughs> on it, listeners. Stay tuned. Yes. And as exciting as Kanye is, well, you want to you wanna give a little rundown of our news yeah, items for this I, week? I will say they're uh, a little underwhelming, actually. It, it does okay. just kind of look like some like way to sell it. Yeah. Sorry. I, <laughs> I actually pulled up the image here and I, I say I'm a little underwhelmed, but you will, it, this, it does not look like the, you know, something that the, the from the crown jewels, um, yeah. it's just like some Chris, like Swarovski, whatever. I can never pronounce that sport. You know Swarovski. what I mean? Mm. Uh, crystals like glued onto the, the thong of a mm. flip flop. Right. <laughs> I expected more, Mr. West. I expected more. Yeah. We'll I mean, still look into the energy angle all the same. This but man yeah. designs footwear. Like I, I mean, for the colorful character he is, he is uh an amazing um artist mm -hmm. in his own way. Uh yeah, as a as a King Crimson fan, I'm Surprised he he's brought King King Crimson mainstream by sampling one of their old songs. Yeah, I but I missed that. Still under litigation. Gosh, that, that is not a name I have thought about in a long time. Yeah, need to be uh, a music nerd like me. Yeah, <clears throat> I think I only know their like one really. Hit. <laughs> yeah, that I won't mention here because I don't feel like that would be appropriate. But everybody can go look it up. They. Sure. If you grew up in the 90s, you'd know the song I'm talking about. Right. Uh, okay. So, in other news. <laughs> yes. Dear listeners. Non-easy uh, news. Yeah. Uh, so, we've got, uh, let's see, SPP, a study about expanding the SPP RTO into the West uh, and the benefits that it, it could provide. Uh, EV charging infrastructure funding for California. Uh, PNNL study about the capacity, reliability um, uh, of Western Hydro, Gavin Newsom's climate platform with possibly mm -hmm. white eye on the White House, uh, a third year of La Nina, and Kaiso looking to tap into some Idaho North or Idaho wind power. Yeah. So, uh, but first, before we hit all those, Jason, tell us yes. about the webinar that you, we've got coming up. Oh, we've been working hard on this. It's October 19th, sponsored by News Data. Uh, microgrids in California, opportunities and challenges for the energy sector. You can find information 
uh, on newsdata.com. It's a two-hour event featuring speakers from Redwood Coast Energy Authority, Sacramento Municipal Utility District, some utilities and Schneider Electric, uh, moderated by Peter Asmus, the esteemed executive director of Alaska Microgrid Group and former uh, navigant or guidehouse. Good guy. Peter's great guy. He's interesting to talk to. So yeah, all about microgrids, their opportunities, local reliability. Um, you can find out more about this at newsdata.com slash C-O-N-F or email our executive editor, Mark O at newsdata.com. But it's going to be a good event. Yeah, I certainly am looking forward to it. Uh, I have to say, obviously, I'm biased, but I I think we do we put on some great events. I I yeah. listen in as a reporter uh, just for my own education, and I always come away with having learned some really valuable lessons. And I I I do mean that sincerely. Obviously, it I'm gonna plug it, you know. But yeah. <laughs> in all honesty. I have to agree. We've we, done some we, good ones. Yeah, that's good. We we got some good guests. You know, some high level guests from Mark Rothleader from Kaiso, Elliot Mainzer, Ed Randolph from CPUC, now retired but um, or has moved on. But yeah, I think it'll be really good. Yeah, Ed, uh, you you helped put this together, right? Yeah, a lot of it really was Peter, Mark, and Abigail. I was sort of kind of hitting back up. Um, but yeah, uh, these things take a lot of work. You got a lot of coordinating of people figuring out the topics. It's not easy. And, um, yeah, Mark has done a great job and I'm sure this will be a home run. Yeah. So if you, uh, want to learn about microgrids, opportunities, and challenges, uh, do check it out. Uh, there's information on our website and, uh, Oh, and you can find out more info. I should let people know. Uh, newsdata.com backslash C-O-N-F. Yep. So newsdata.com backslash the letters C-O-N-F, the first four letters of uh, the word conference. All right. So, okay. Getting back to the news. So expanding the Southwest Power Pools Regional Transmission Organization organization into the Western interconnection uh, could deliver more than $70 million in annual benefits to the current participants in SPP's energy imbalance service in the Western interconnection. That was a very confusing way, or like that was a lot to throw at you, but basically <laughs> uh, the handful of folks who are in the Western energy imbalance service group, SPP's Western energy imbalance market, um, mm -hmm. They commissioned a study from the Brattle Group looking to see if they expand the RTO to include them, how much could they save? The analysis found $70 million in annual benefits, which doesn't sound like a huge amount, but in terms of these, it's not a huge amount of, um, yeah, in terms of load that would be coming in here. We're talking, I think, uh, let's see, just under 30,000 gigawatt hours of load between these entities, um, some people in the Western uh, Area Power Administration, uh, like Colorado Springs Utilities, um, you know, some significant utilities, but not like huge ones. So uh, that $70 million in annual benefits is actually about a quarter of their adjusted production costs. Uh, so 
Yeah, it would be a substantial, sub, yeah, sub, some substantial savings to them. Um, yeah, the interesting thing, I just actually was talking to one of the study leads uh, just actually before we got on here, going over some of the, the details. So um, it basically would give them, allow these entities to one, you know, sell with, uh, take out the friction between sales, wholesales with, amongst themselves, but more importantly, they would really capitalize and, and um, be able to increase their wholesale sales to the east side, uh, the current SPP RTO membership. Uh, and that's the, the big benefit for them. They would lose some transmission wheeling fees, but that would be well overshadowed by the increase market, wholesale market opportunities for these entities on in the Western interconnection. Uh, so talking to, as, as I said, one of the um, analysts for Brattle Group who uh, put this together, uh, John Tsoukalos, yeah, he was saying that there's, there's every reason to believe that in the aggregate, expanding the footprint in the West would just increase the the scope of the benefits. Um, and obviously it would vary from participant to participant, but there's no reason to believe that uh, the the amount of benefits would not you know, grow proportionally, more or less, um, as you brought in more entities across the West. Uh, one, one interesting aspect, you know, one thing limiting this now is just the amount of uh, interconnections between the East and West grids or inner ties. Um, which is obviously a limiting factor in terms of how much uh, power can flow between the Western grid and Eastern grid. Uh, and so this analysis really said it only involves about two and a half of the existing eight DC ties between the Eastern and Western grids. And so uh, bringing in more members, especially if they own uh, some of that DC inner tie capacity between East and West, would uh, substantially, or you know, would potentially increase the benefits even more. So, really interesting study, really significant, uh, in, or very informative in terms of the larger conversation going on in the West with uh, developing market um, proposals from CAISO and SPP for the Western states. So, obviously, this is. Um, some very interesting information that is going to inform that conversation. And these participants, certainly uh, the, the members of that, this, that who commissioned the study, um, they, they seem pretty, pretty happy with the results and uh, very, seem very interested in pursuing things with SPP and, and taking this conversation uh, to the next step and um, talking about, you know, oh, this will help inform our negotiations. So, they seem pretty set on on moving forward, if possible, with the SPP RTO. They have not said that publicly, but you know the yeah. public statements they have made kind of really point in that direction. So we will be following this story certainly. Uh, so please stay stay tuned. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, SPP obviously a big player, and then you have Kaiso, which has been working towards regionalization. I think if we discuss this a little bit, you know, SPP doesn't have like a lot of the baggage that California does. Um, so maybe that'll help. But yeah, a lot happening and a lot of benefits to these regional 
markets as we've seen. Yeah, certainly. Uh, talking about California. Oh, yes. What's going on with funding for uh, electric vehicles? Well, a lot. We have the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Plan, which is uh, California recently got the green light to begin, uh, no pun, uh, to begin using 56 million of 384 million in federal funding for EV charging infrastructure. This is after approval, approval of California's National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Plan. This was submitted by the California Department of Transportation, the Energy Commission, and was approved by the U.S. Joint Office of Energy and Transportation. Yeah, this will be 56 million in funding, uh, but over the next five years, California expects 384. This was funded by Federal Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act of 2021. These initial funds must first be used to construct charging infrastructure on federally designated alternative fuel corridors. California has 55 of these, 19 are on interstate highways, 32 are state routes, and four are US routes. They combined represent about 6,600 miles of the state's highways and byways. So yes, EV charging infrastructure, both where, when, and how is a big topic uh, as we roll this out. Um, California's NEVI plan, as we're calling it, uh, shows that 38.7% of all of these EVs in the U.S., uh, are registered. Um, I think we mean in California there. I don't know. I need to look at that. Um, but the plan, uh, calls for deploying 250,000 public and shared private EV chargers in California wow. by 2025. It, that, and that, uh, so how many of those are, is this 56 million going to cover? Is that covering all those 250,000 private and or public and shared private chargers uh let me see i mean it's certainly a a lot of money yeah yeah i think that's probably the larger amount i would think that okay yeah yeah the 384 million Uh, yeah which i mean hey 56 million that's a lot yeah uh get get started on yeah i didn't write the story this is linda daily paulson um so maybe look into a little bit more. The, the article is quite comprehensive on newsdata.com. She did do a great job with that. Yeah, definitely go check it out to learn more. Uh, yeah. and my colleague, Casey Mahaffey, did a great job uh, writing up, uh, reporting on a new study from the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory looking at hydroelectric power in the West. And they found that, uh, you know, despite the stories that we hear about Lake Mead and you know various, how things are going at Glen Canyon Dam and um, about just getting these areas, getting hit with droughts uh, and seeing some really, you know, disturbing stories in terms of uh, how low reservoirs are. Uh, what they found was that based on historical data across the West, hydroelectric power is actually really stable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, there very rarely are droughts, hit, extreme droughts hitting uh, the multiple regions. I think they found, let's see, what was it? Two, a couple times uh, where a, let's see, uh, found over the last 20 years, the worst hydro droughts for each region occurred in different years, except two cases where the worst years were shared by two regions. And that's out of eight, regions they split the west up into eight climate regions 
so in the worst year in the past two decades, um, there were two times that two regions were affected by extreme droughts. Yeah. So, uh, you know, across the West, basically they found the capacity factor was about 80%. Uh, during those times and going back Great. further um, it doesn't seem like there's much difference in that uh, now obviously you know as we know the the future is looking very different thanks to climate change so uh, but the last 20 years um, that's you know the start of the shift in climate trends uh, and this is for forecasters trying to get a better look of what the future like looks like, one thing that they're doing is shortening the historic data that they're drawing from to you know, so that the trends that we're starting to see with climate change aren't drowned out by more stable climate um, of you know the the 20th century or at least you know the up until maybe the 90s. Uh, so this would seem to be indicative of at least you know the some of the the trend line that we're seeing of more extreme weather uh so yeah it's a really interesting study you know i found it a little bit surprising we've been just writing so much about hydro being down uh it does it notices here or notes here the study indicates a repeat of the 76 1977 drought would cause more severe loss of hydro than any drought so far this century because of those yeah. multiple regions <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, right. indeed. I mean, this is not saying that uh, it's immune, right. but that uh, we need to keep the bigger picture in mind. Um, yeah. So, and as a as a group, the hydro Western hydro plants are pretty damn reliable. Oh, so, <laughs> yeah. Zing. Uh, <laughs> speaking of climate, oh, climate yes. uh, policy platforms. What's Gavin Newsom up to? Well, Gavin has been traveling. Um, the California Commodore Gavin Newsom. So, you know, I've been obviously follow this gentleman in the news. There's been he's downplayed the fact that he might be interested in the White House, but all signs are pointing that direction. He's taking out national ads. He's taken a lot of national issues on, including climate change. My takeaway from his appearance last week at Climate Week NYC is that climate is going to be a central issue in his platform. We know where he stands on climate. Um, some good quotes from the governor, some pretty interesting language. First of all, um, he said, you know, Golden State's tip of the spear fighting climate change. He talked about uh, lifestyles, places, and traditions being altered by climate change, and then saying we need to grow up on this. You know, his pretty exasperated kind of tone here. Um, by the way, we won, they lost, he said, talking about fossil fuel companies in the recent rash of legislation passed in California. Big oil lost, they're not used to losing. Also really had some strong words for the Wall Street Journal, which ran an editorial last week, criticizing his climate policies. Newsom made no bones about it. His quote is, stop reading the editorial boards of the Wall Street Journal. Stop listening to these CEOs of these big corporations that have been destroying the planet, making it uninhabitable. It's time to take these guys out in these editorial boardrooms. That's a quote. So, hmm, take them out. Yeah. Well. 
Newsom uh, getting a little yeah pugnacious <laughs> uh, that yeah uh getting a little rowdy yeah and you pugilistic know, that's the word i was looking for pugilistic there yeah, that, that's a good one you know he's yeah he's obviously strong in this issue he called it texas stupid he said <laughs> uh they've doubled down on stupid and coal natural gas these three days they couldn't keep the damn lights on uh why the hell are they doubling down on policies that created those conditions now, and I won't spend too much time on this, but, um, you know, we've had our own energy problems in California that are well publicized. Yeah. And so it's a kind of a curious, you know, there, there's, there's very little uh, recognition on the governor's part, but we understand this is politics. And also, you know, and this is my commentary, when he's rails against CEOs, energy companies, we know he has a pretty good relationship with Pacific gas and electric, which has funneled hundreds of thousands of dollars to him and his philanthropic philanthropic concerns of first partner, Jennifer Siebel Newsom. This is common knowledge. There's a big Washington Post investigation. So that rings a little bit hollow. Um, and of course, you know, he can credit his political rise to the Getty oil family. Uh, again, no secret. Um, so yeah, I think people are aware of this. I just did find that a little bit interesting. It yeah. says last month, a company co-founded by Newsom and oil billionaire Gordon Getty purchased a $14.5 million Napa Valley vineyard. So as I said here, not the first politician to say one thing while doing another, but I think the relationship is a little bit more complicated here than we'll be seeing on the campaign trail. Indeed. Uh, but yeah, no, interesting write-up and uh, Thanks, encourage uh, listeners to go check it out to read more of that coverage from Jason. Yeah. Uh, so another story here from Casey Mahaffey. Forecasters predict the third consecutive La Nina winter for the West Coast, So, uh, which is, you know, pretty unusual. Yeah. But uh, NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, just issued a advisory earlier this month saying that there was a 91% chance of La Nina persisting from September through November and a 54% chance of it lasting through through uh, March this next year, 2023. But uh, they, you know, they left it open saying, you know, it's not certainly 54% is far from a sure thing, but it, it would be interesting. It's only happened twice before that we've had three consecutive La Nina winters uh, since 1950. The most recent occurrence was 1998-2001. Wow. Interesting. And of course, during a La Nina period, sea surface temperatures uh, across, across the eastern equatorial part of the Pacific Ocean are lower than normal by three to five degrees. Or, or 5.4 to 9 degrees Fahrenheit. But yeah, interesting stuff there. Weather's always a fun topic. Yeah. And uh, so the I should add that um, the, the effect is likely greater chances for cold, wet weather in the Pacific Northwest and drier weather in California and other parts of the Southwest. So, of course, very important and um, you know, consequential for Western hydropower systems and right. also just you know irrigation needs and and ever other 
uh, various aspects. And yes. Well, good, the, good story. That, that's the last one for me. Now, uh, what's okay. going on with Kaiso looking up to Idaho wind? Yeah, I'll finish up here with uh, the California Independent System operator recently got done with a collecting request for expressions of interest to access Idaho wind. Um, this would be through the proposed SWIP North Transmission Projects, which is a Southwest Intertie project. SWIP North is part of the Southwest Intertie. Um, and I guess Kaiso looked at SWIP North along with TransWest Express and Crosstie projects, which access Wyoming. But this is, um, this is about Idaho wind, um, there's been an economic study request submitted for the SWIP North project in Kaiso's transmission plan, transmission planning uh, process. So, uh, according to Kaiso, this is the only proposed project that could bring Idaho wind to California. We've got a map here; it runs from Idaho down to kind of central eastern Nevada, where it hooks up with the ON line which is already operating, which runs from Robinson Summit to the Harry Allen substation, Southern Nevada. And then the Desert Link project down there near Vegas. Uh, so this would be one continuous link. Um, but yeah, these the expressions of interest were intended to ensure alignment with the California Public Utilities Commission Integrated Resource Plan and the CPC's approved power plan, but does not predetermine the outcome of Kaiso's transmission planning process. This is also open to a competitive solicitation process. So a little bit way off this strip line, just to finish up, is 285 miles, 500 kV, run from the midpoint substation in Idaho to the Robinson Summit substation in Nevada. Transfer capability of about 2,300 megawatts. So, yep, a lot of talk about transmission for renewables. Here's an example. Kaiso proceeding with very careful study here and we'll see what came out of this process i'll continue to cover this yeah as always listeners check out newsday.com for more coverage and yep. I, yeah i know uh i know power certainly has, is looking more seriously at uh swip north they did um yeah certainly since their last uh inter integrated resource plan they included in there and said hey you know we're yeah, start looking at this a little bit more closely. So yeah, stay tuned for more coverage. Uh, well, that's all from me, Dan Catchpole. Thank you for listening. And as always, if you like this podcast, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever platform you use to listen to us and pass us along, pass it along to a friend. Uh, Energy West is edited and produced by our colleagues at Pioneer Utility Resources and Lucky Sound Studio. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Catchpole and my co host Jason Fordney is on Twitter at Fordney Energy. Yes, we're entertain and amaze. Thanks for listening to News Data's Energy West. You can read more of our coverage at newsdata.com. Nobody covers energy in the West like we do. Follow us on Twitter. CEM is at CEM News Data. That's the letter CEM News Data. Clearing Up is at CU News Data. That's the letters CU News Data. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. You've been listening to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow.